0: Welcome back to the Fourth Way Podcast. Today, we are continuing our discussion on the means and the ends by taking a look at what I think is a powerful example of how this works out in the real world. This episode, as well as the next one, are going to be what I think are two very good segue episodes into our next season. And in our next season, we are going to be exploring specific instances of nonviolence throughout history and then delving into the theory of practical nonviolence in the real world. So I actually wrote this episode outline up in June of 2020, and I'm recording, it's like mid-October right now. Um, So I've kind of got my my episodes working about six months out in terms of writing at least. And while that's a pain sometimes, because it, it makes it harder to insert current event episodes... I am a hyper-focused individual, so when I get ideas, I have to act on them. And since I'm working in, in seasons, it means that I'm doing large chunks at one time. But I will say that I, I do like it because I think that it's going to be good for listeners to be able to reflect back in time, but also I think it's fun because uh, when I record it, I really have no idea where we're going to be six months from now. So... Right now, in case you forgot, what was going on in you know June through October of 2020, we are about uh, we were when I wrote this about two weeks into the protests, which resulted from George Floyd's death. So, whatever you think about the protests that erupted, the Black Lives Matter movement, any of that stuff, regardless of of what you think about it, there have been some good and some bad examples of action and reaction in our society. The bad is usually pretty obvious, we can see that uh, in this particular instance, there were some white supremacists trying to make protesters look bad. We know that there were instances where uh, there were white supremacists or or people who were against the Black Lives Matter movement who would go out and they were not a part of that movement but started fires or, or looting or graffiti, whatever. Um, not that there weren't also protesters associated with those groups doing the same thing, but we know that there were there were some people trying to sabotage the movements as well. Now, in, in all of these cases, whether it was somebody sabotaging an event or whether it was uh, the Black Lives Matter movement or other people sabotaging their own events or their own communities... Um, Tensions rose, obviously, communities were harmed, and people were hurt, and relationships strained. But then, there were also some beautiful depictions that we were able to see in all of this. One of the most beautiful scenes I saw, which occurred at a number of locations, was when the police force would join with protesters in kneeling. Some places had cookouts with the police in the community. Um, Sometimes the police marched with protesters— but the one which stood out the most to me was the one in which the police knelt with the protesters. That just there's something about that solidarity to me that um that was just beautiful. And I think it stood out to me most because it represented the antithesis of the issue at hand. So police brutality and violence was being protested and the opposite of that, the thing which would most represent the vulnerability of police officers is to kneel down, to bow heads, and to assume a posture of submission. Um, it, it's almost as if, like an acknowledgement of of the issue and saying, "I submit to this critique, even if I'm not individually responsible. Um, I I recognize the issue here, and I want to join you in solidarity." It's it's a very humbling thing to do. So for a group who is thought of as wanting to maintain control and to do so through power, force, and dominance. Um, Seeing police officers humble themselves in solidarity and vulnerability was was pretty amazing. I mean, literally, they were putting their lives in the hands of the protesters. If anyone had a gun or wanted to get the jump on the police officers, that would have been a, a perfect opportunity to do that. But what you saw instead was that it caused protesters to break down in tears a lot of times there were hugs exchanged, and it was beautiful. So while a lot of times the protesters are depicted as just these vitriolic people who um, just hate police, and that I'm sure that probably is true sometimes, um, and police officers are also portrayed as just these power mongers who want to domineer people, what you see is that when, when one group, there's tension in one group for, for a specific reason, and the, the other group, submits and just humbles themselves, a lot of times what you end up seeing is the road to reconciliation. You see that there is um, maybe not complete forgiveness, but there's just this recognition of humanity and um, the beginning of restoration, at least. A a first step. A common phrase in the nonviolent community is that violence begets violence. It's no surprise, then, that where police postured with army gear and were clearly ready and seemingly desires to do violence, violence was pretty quickly found. At the same time, where the authorities postured with humility, repentance, and even if it wasn't for personal sins, if it was just this this acknowledgment of wanting to be different than what has been, right? It, with their posturing of love, it elicited forgiveness and reciprocal love and at least the beginning of of restoration. Riots are not solved by meeting them with violence, and we saw that millions of times, or not millions of times, but a lot of times, after the George Floyd uh, incident, um, because as MLK said, riots are the language of the unheard. And that just doesn't justify riots. It doesn't justify physical harm or property damage. But it's acknowledging that there's there's legitimate harm and there's a legitimate underlying reason that people need to recognize. Riots are an inevitability in a community suppressed by violence. We can see this in the history of the United States because there have been quite a number of, of race riots throughout our history, even since the Civil Rights Movement. And while each riot was eventually quelled, for whether that was quelled by suppression and force or just quelled by um, kind of letting it run its course, the problem has obviously continued to fester because reconciliation was not achieved. Riots were often stopped with force, and if there was change that resulted from the riots, it was often only just enough change um, to appease people for a time, but it didn't really fix the problem or try to get at the problem. There was not a meeting of the black uh, community with humility, love, repentance, and a desire to truly reconcile. Of course, a few police officers humbling themselves today doesn't mean that we're headed toward true reconciliation this time around. But they are a depiction of what that might look like or what that might involve. I'm optimistic that, that some of these police reforms are significant enough that they are true attempts to hear the black community. But I also know enough to have read the Kerner Commission back in the late 60s, which said that uh, there were huge problems that needed to be addressed, and we're over 50 years beyond that, and we're still having all of this this pent-up frustration. You know, that's a pent-up frustration that i didn't realize existed until the past few years. Um as a as a white individual, i would have always said, "Hey, things were kind of fixed with the civil rights movement." And while the civil rights movement was great, talking with black acquaintances, it's just it's absolutely enlightened me as to how wrong i am. Uh the things that they the talks that they actually have with their kids, especially their sons um, the the experiences that they've had personally i mean just just blew my mind like I would have thought that it was rare that this happens or it happens in certain communities but i I have not talked to a black friend or acquaintance who has told me that they have not had a personal issue that I find really strange. Let me just give you one example so Uh, someone I know is a black man and a police officer. And I was talking to this person and asking them, what do you think about this movement? And, uh, he said, oh yeah, definitely. It's, it's been a long time coming. So this guy's a police officer who recognizes that the Black Lives Matter movement is good and has been a long time coming. And I've heard that from one or two other police officers, uh, secondhand anyway, um, and it it's just amazing so i was i was talking to him and i asked him no have you had experiences when you're not in uniform when you're not in your police car have you been pulled over for ridiculous things and he's like oh yeah lots of times and telling me like this police officer pulled him over and said oh i'm sorry i didn't i didn't think you were wearing your seatbelt but then he saw that he was right uh, or like tail lights that weren't out things like that things that i would never even imagine being pulled over for i mean i know you can be pulled over for for those legitimate infractions um you know like a tail light but who I, i've never been pulled over for that had and most i have not spoken with a white person who's been pulled over for a stupid reason like that or knows somebody who has i'm sure it's happened but you talk to you start talking to black people and the uh, the amount of them that have an experience with these obscure uh rules or these obscure things that that people aren't usually stopped for it's just it's amazing so um there there is a lot of tension and there's a lot of of stuff going on in that community and we see that boiling up and we have to ask ourselves what can we do to fix it? And Now, I want to take a case study here, um, which I'm not trying to use this as, hey, I've got the answer to how we fix this thing, because I don't have a specific answer. That's for people who are way smarter and, and way more understanding of politics and, and that kind of stuff. Because um, personally, I invest in the church and let secular people do their politics. Um, But I do want to offer kind of a scaffold, an outline, a structure of sorts, um, a vision, a dream, whatever you want to call it. I want to provide a glimpse of what it might look like because right now what we've, what our solution has been, has been, quote, law and order. Uh, It's been force, it's been violence, it's been police militarization, it's... It's been a certain way, the way of aggression. And in this series, we've talked a lot about means and ends. The means are going to produce the ends uh, in like fashion. Or another way to put it are the means are the ends in the process of becoming. I really like that saying because it just sums it up so well. The means are the ends in the process of becoming. So let's take a look at a different part of the world and how you might be able to envision something like this. So take Costa Rica. Costa Rica has not had a standing army since 1948. And we could get into that and look at it and talk about its crime rate compared to other countries around it and how that's gone and what they do instead. Um, But that's that's not really my interest at the moment you can look that up it is a really interesting story and it's it's amazing for for me as a u.s citizen to imagine living in a country without an army when like over half of our budget ultimately ends up going towards army sorts of things here uh towards the military um what does it look like to not have a military when we're told that military is our life it's our survival it's the only reason we're able to have the power and freedoms that we do in fact: I I can only vote because of the military, um, so I don't know how they have elections in Costa Rica. But let's let's put Costa Rica to the side and let you do your own research in that. Because Camden, New Jersey, is also another supposed success story in terms of overhauling a violent government force. Now, um, I'm sure that there are people who have a lot of a- different agendas who. You can pick and choose stats and pick and choose places and initiatives, um, so you, you can do some further research into Camden, New Jersey. But at least on the surface, from uh, preliminary research and discussions and, uh, and and seeing what's going on there, it seems like it at least doesn't provide a worse alternative than police militarization, and it seems like it's actually doing a better job. So what? What people on the left are going to say is that in Camden, police were largely defunded and, uh, and left the scene, so their their number is significantly reduced. And that's not true. Uh, there, there wasn't an instance where that did occur, but then those police were rehired and such, because um, you know it was a funding issue, it wasn't a, a policy sort of issue. But what you see is in that revamping of the police department, there were policy changes. Where uh, I think the the police chief said something to the extent of like instead of being special forces, we are like the peace corps and so the the police started to have cookouts and started to focus on community relations um and and there are a number of of instances described where you know they're like, hey, before we would have shot the guy, and this time we were able to subdue subdue the perpetrator uh, without doing it so you have you have more of a a community emphasis, a Peace Corps type thing as opposed to an an army, a standing army where you are going to um, just get the bad guys. And even though Camden is still extremely violent and more, I think it's the most violent city in, in New Jersey, um, you do see that this has kind of tapered off a bit, at least for Camden uh it, it seems to be something that's working. It seems to be something that uh is influencing the community and what you'll what you'll notice if you uh read other books like the end of policing which i I highly recommend um the the author doesn't advocate nonviolence but he does correctly identify a lot of the issues with policing. Why does policing create so many problems? why is there so much tension and animosity? With policing, and I think the author does a good job of of showing how police forces work and tend to actually stir up more violence. Um, so I'll link I'll link that resource as well as a couple of other good resources to the history of policing and the issues that policing has has had. And um, so I, I would never argue in the secular realm that there shouldn't be police. Because, you know, in a in a secular world, of course, there ought to be police. Um, but what I would argue is that the way that we are doing policing in the United States just doesn't work. It it creates more tensions, and uh, if you if you escalate violence, you're gonna and if you do violence, you're just gonna create more violence. You're gonna um, make things worse. And we don't only see that from the police who use tear gas and and other kinds of things preemptively, sometimes, but we also see that from the uh, protesters. And when they get up in people's faces, when they throw rocks, when they do violence, that tends to to escalate the violence. And so as we as we uh, are in this kind of tumultuous time in the states, and we we are thinking about race issues, whether that's thinking about how we go out and voice our concerns as citizens and how we protest, or whether that's thinking about how we want to shape our police force, keeping this idea of means and ends in mind is going to be really important for how we go about doing that. While I don't know where we will be in six months uh, or five years from now or 50 years from now, I think we have a lot that we can learn from Jesus, which makes sense. And I anticipate that if our culture is truly seeking to reconcile, um, I think this will come about not through force, but through gently seeking to understand and by our humble repentance. Um, Next episode is going to be the last episode of the season, and it's going to kind of be a continuation on this. In that, I'm going to talk about race. So the Kerner Commission, um, we know that that talked about how there were just these underlying issues that that needed changed in society and um, talked about needing laws and, and other sorts of things to, to change that. But um, in the next episode, we're going to talk about what truly changes society and whether laws have actually done that, whether the government has been able to do that. Um, so that's more of the ideological take on this. This is more of the kind of physical presence take on it. So anyway, that's all for now. So peace. And because I'm a pacifist, when I say it, I mean it.